Oh, it says streaming live on YouTube. Yes, so YouTube works. Hi, everyone. So sorry for the uh, technical difficulties. And uh, let me do that. And uh, I need to just let everybody know on Facebook. Okay, <laughs> Dave, sorry about that. Oh, no trouble. Um, this happened once when I was with George, actually. It, okay. You know, we've done it a number of times, but for some reason, it happens every once in a while on Facebook. It has these problems. And so, uh, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to give a little brief monologue, which um, actually before others join in or are able to join in, but um, that way it'll give us a sense of, you know, all the things that are happening, who we are, what we're doing, Okay. which is that, first of all, for those of you who have been with us for a while, um, you probably now recognize that George Sneeman is not with us and George and Carolyn are, they've arrived back in, um, in South Africa. They're actually in Johannesburg right now because Dave, to let you know, they've been quarantined for 14 oh, no. days. Oh no. Yes. yes. That's just the condition of things there. And so they right. actually are now in a, in one hotel room and they are, they really can't do much. I think they have oh. access to outdoor activity for two hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon. Okay. Right? They could just walk outside, that's it. Right. Other than that, they're literally in one small room. Right. So reading. yes, yeah, he's working on a book actually. Oh. And so I think it'll be a good time for him to hopefully yeah, yeah. finish his book. Good. And yeah, so George has been with me for the past few weeks. Um, he, uh, for those of you who are with us, he, one, talked a lot about uh, rhythms, footpaths. He used the expression of cutting to the bone. In other words, going deep. And more than anything else, what he brought to our discussions was this uh, passion and desire for Christ and his as he called it, he's a practitioner. So he works it out and especially among the orphans and the widows. And so, so, so thankful for him uh, for these past few weeks. Now, on the other hand, we are blessed to be able to speak to you, Dave. Uh, Dave is currently, he is the chaplain at 29 Palms and it's a Marine base. They train Marines to go to all different places around the world, and he serves by caring for them. Um, a couple of other factors about Dave is Dave Stroud and I, we went to seminary together. Actually, we overlapped, but we didn't know each other at all during that time. 
So we had a lot of the same professors and we actually didn't get to know each other until we came to the Bay Area. And so I thought actually what would be a, a really cool way to introduce you or, or maybe Dave for you to share a little bit of how we met. Cause I think that that is a, you know, you, you are, a, like I said, you're a US Navy chaplain. You've been in the service for how long? 22 years. 22 years. You're married to, you're married to Jamie. You have one daughter, Katie, who's in just just graduated from the University of Michigan. Yeah. And sad to say, she's one of those, you know, 2020 COVID graduates who don't right. really get a real graduation. It's true. But, you know, that's sort of how it is right now for so many. And um, yeah, you've served in the military. Thank you for your service. Um, you serve the Lord. And yeah, but I thought that story of how we got together is just, just an sure. interesting one. Do you mind telling your perspective and then I'll tell mine and then we'll begin? I'd be happy to. Uh, it's a great story. Um, <laughs> so I was working for the Coast Guard there um, on Alameda Island and I had been uh, involved in the uh, death notification and care for the family whose name I don't remember. They're the Kims. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I had missed the funeral because I had to go to San Diego, but I knew they, you know, they just wanted me to do the burial as the chaplain because there was a church in town that was going to do the funeral because they used to go there. And that's all I really knew. Uh, I did the burial and I think you were there at that, but we yes. didn't see. Um, and then that Sunday we had plans. We, we had a very difficult time finding a church when we got to the Bay Area. And, and we had plans to go to another church. And as we were driving down the street, we went past uh, the middle school there where you guys meet and saw the sign. And you were starting in like five minutes. And so I said to Jamie, you want to try that? She said, sure. <laughs> so we pulled in, went in, sat down, worship started. And then you got up for the sermon and you said, started off with, you know, this has been a really difficult week. A good friend of mine passed away and we did the funeral. And, and the more you told the story, the more I, re I realized that this was the same guy. And, and there had been some connections between mm -hmm. the widow and myself as all. Mm -hmm. Yes. Her dad had taught yes. in China where I'd been anyway. Yes. So then uh, I went up after the service to kind of say, Hey, I'm the, I'm the Coast Guard chaplain. And, and then we got talking and we went to seminary together and, and, and. So it was uh, all kinds of connections. And I, I went to Jamie and I said, well, we're coming back here next week because it seems like the Lord wants us here. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a, a pretty neat Sunday. Yes. Well, Dave is a good friend. Um, he loves the Lord, like I said. And uh, it's just amazing how the Lord did bring us together. And actually, you're a few years with us. It was such a blessing. I think what I really treasured a lot were our just when we got together, our conversations. And we talked about um, we talked about our faith, testimonies, time at Gordon Conwell, but as well as just what what it meant to follow Christ in our different contexts. Right. Me as a local church pastor, you as a chaplain in the military. 
And so we have different uh, areas of where we're reaching and, and different contexts and yet, but the same Lord, Amen. same message, the gospel message. Right. And I have always cherished that in your desire and love for God's word. So when I was thinking about who do I have, who do I think about when I want to follow up with George? I mean, he's in Africa, you're in the military, and those are two very different contexts. So I thought that's a great contrast. Well, not a contrast, but it's, it's just so different from each other that I think it really gives a different twist to how we're going to explore God's word. So thank you, Dave, for joining me this week. So Dave will be with me Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and he's going to pick the next top, the next Bible text we're going to study on Wednesday, and then I'll pick the last one on Friday. And so, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. And anytime I can be included in the same breath as George, I consider that an honor. <laughs> Do you mind um, praying for us and then reading the passage for us? Sure. That's yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for the chance to be together, even though uh, we can't be in the same room. What a what a, mm. a privilege it is to gather with old friends, uh, even if it's virtually, and, and to share that fellowship, but then also to be able to get into your word. And we do thank you for your word, for the grace that you've given us in it. Um, we ask that you would bless us now as we open it, that we would mm -hmm. see your heart. Um, and Lord, that you would you would use this. Holy Spirit, we invite you to use this passage uh, to change us, to make us more like Christ, uh, to, to pour out your blessing on us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So before you read the passage, a couple of things is if you have a question at any time, it doesn't have to be just uh, when, you know, when there's a appropriate time, quote, appropriate time, please feel free to ask the question. You can ask it in the chat or you can ask it in the comment and we will get to it. So we want to really be able to serve you by just going over all sorts of different things, any questions that you have. So we're going to be reading about the rich young man from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 29. And, uh, and one of other caveat is that, well, it's actually 17 through, yeah. 31. 31, yes. 17 through 31. One other caveat is that unbeknownst to me, Dave actually preached this message, this passage on this past Sunday. And I had no idea before I asked him, hey, we're going to talk about this. And he actually preached it on Sunday. So that's, yeah. I thought that's another interesting thing. So right? anyway, do you mind reading that for us, Dave? Oh, absolutely. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Do you know the command? I'm sorry. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, 
how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Amen. So just quick thoughts. What are your overarching thoughts regarding this passage? When you think about it, when you've studied it, um, so I, I think we, we talked a little bit about this before we started, but the, the mm -hmm. overarching, uh, connection with, with some of that, it's a, some of the passages around it and how Jesus seems to be really driving home to the disciples, the need to be different from the world. Mm. And this specific example having to do with wealth, that, mm. that here's a guy who, who genuinely thought at least that he was pursuing God and, and, you know, he probably was, but his wealth, his trust in his own money uh, was getting in the way. And, and Jesus, you know, just cut straight, straight to the, to the root of that. Um, but I think just that the whole counterculture, perhaps, I don't know if that's a good way to put it or not, but yeah. that, theme that's running through this whole this whole spot mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know when i think about that because you bring up a really interesting point the question of sincerity you know a lot of times when you think about this passage it's very easy to think okay what is what's really going on in his heart mm -hmm. is he genuine in his desire to want to know the answer to his question is trying to look good. I mean, definitely the answer to that seems to be verse 21, that Jesus looking at him, oh, yeah. loved him, you know, right. used the word agape, said to him, you would think that if he wasn't sincere, if he was trying to just put on a show, or he was trying to do what a lot of the other religious authorities had done, which is they always tried to test him, right? Sure. And so, so definitely there doesn't seem to be that. But what it's interesting is that how, first of all, how he, on the one hand, uh, feels like, at least personally, he feels as though he gets it. And yet on the other hand, he really doesn't get it. Right. You know, he really misses the mark. Right. But you know, I, I think to me, when I see that, when I, I read this, you know, I think of there are times in my life when, mm -hmm. you know, one minute, I'm talking about the gospel. I'm talking about what God has done in my life and I, and I'm being genuine. And then the next minute something happens and I'm like, you know, looking down my nose at somebody or, you know, mm -hmm. just something completely off away. And I think 
that's probably what's going on here, that he, he was being genuine. He had put a lot of effort into following God, mm-hmm. but he had this one blind spot, this one, this one area that rivaled it, and yes. he, he was probably unaware of it until right. Jesus called it out. Right, right. I mean, it's interesting because you work with, obviously, a lot of people who do things. You know, merit is a huge part of the military, right? Sure. I mean, it's you could almost make the case that it's not that it's everything, but it's a significant part of it. Rank. Right. Yeah. You know, you salute someone who is of higher rank. There's a hierarchy. You actually have to do things to keep on moving forward. Right. And you're achieving something. Right. And here, it's almost like he's taking that approach, you know, that there is something to do. I mean, definitely that is the big question. And I want to sort of tear apart his question a little bit. Okay. Maybe, uh, yeah. So first let's think about the question. Then one, um, before we get to the question, a couple of things that came to my mind when I thought about who he was is that he runs up, he kneels, right? Right. Those are two very strong uh, emotions. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you don't do that unless either you're trying to put on a show, but we've already talked about the fact that it doesn't seem to be the case. That means that there's a sincerity, like there's a zeal and a passion about him. Right. And you've met people like that. And so have I, who spiritually speaking, even have a zeal and a passion. Right. What does it say to you about someone who can have a zeal and a passion and yet still miss the mark severely? (laughs) that they're normal. (laughs) I mean, I think, again, I I think all of us have that spot. Um, And, and, you know, some maybe at a lesser degree than others, but I think, you know, from now until the time we're with the Lord, there will be a continual refining. And so, so, you know, once, once we get rid of this big one, there's, there's going to be another one that's going to need to be, be moved and, uh, yeah, I just see myself in him so much. Uh, and honestly, like I wonder, and again, I think he was being genuine. I don't think there was anything malicious or, or anything like that, but I wonder if he thought Jesus was just going to tell him, Hey, you're doing a great job. (laughs) Uh, you know, like what, what else do I need to do? Well, you know what? Maybe there's this one little thing you could you could do a little better at, but but you you are the guy. Um, I wonder if that's what he was expecting when he he went to Jesus. I think that is what he was expecting. Yeah, I I mean there is a sense of uh, verse twenty, and he said to him, "Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth." That just sounds, in some level, uh, again. You're right. There's a complexity to him. I don't think it's just he's one way or the other, just like all of us, right? There's, we want to follow Christ. At the same time, there's idols that are just plugging away at our heart. And that creeps up whenever we sin, whenever we fail, whenever we falter. And so, um, and there is a passion, but I do want to tackle at the very end. We'll talk about this question of, what happened to this guy? 
you know, we'll talk about that. We'll hold that to the end. Cause I feel like that's, that's the big question because the blind spot, you talk about the blind spot and the thing about the blind spot is that you're right. Every one of us has a blind spot, but if your blind spot is so big that you actually can't see at all, then the question is, is it a spot or is it blindness? And there's a big difference between the two, right? So what we want to explore is here's this guy, passionate, zealous, and he really believes that he's done good things. Right. Can you be zealous and passionate and sincere and yet completely self-deceived? Sure. You know, it's great to be zealous provided that you're zealous for a good thing or, uh, but sure you can be zealous and, and, you know, to be really proud of yourself. Hey, look at how I followed the law my whole life. Uh, you know, that if he has a zeal about himself, if that's was, Hey, look at how well I've done this. That certainly is a, a huge blind spot that keeps you from seeing Christ. And, and I think that may be the case here, but uh, yeah, absolutely. I, in fact, I think it's very easy to get zealous about stuff that distracts us from the gospel. Mm. And, it, and, you know, it almost all starts as good stuff. Mm-hmm. It just it grows to be something larger than it, it should be. Yeah. Yeah. That how, how startling and tragic that is, you know, that sure. the very good things actually distract us from the gospel. Right. Yeah. So let's look at the question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So what I, when I was reading that question, there are so many assumptions in that question. It's so interesting. The question itself, it has many parts to it. First of all, which the first one is the one that Jesus actually questions like good, the concept of good, right. you know, why is Jesus the good teacher, you know? And then secondly is, is Jesus a teacher, which we know he is, he's a rabbi, right? Mm-hmm. But is that perhaps one of his assumptions is he's a teacher, you know, he is someone, he's not savior, he's not right. Messiah, right. he's a teacher, a moral teacher which I think there are a lot of people who believe Jesus definitely is a good teacher. So, so a lot of, as C.S. Lewis talks about that, you know, he, you're, he, Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord, but you right. can't call him a good man right. or a good teacher. That's not, he's, he doesn't accept that. Right. So that's the second assumption or second question. The third one is the concept of doing something to get eternal life, you know, that I must do something. It's an action that I do, which again, to go into a meritorious context, that's all of us. We all think that we have to work hard. And when we work hard, we get a certain rank or a certain job or a certain career path or make a certain money. Right. And the last one is eternal life. He assumes there's eternal life. So, I just want to hear what you think about that question, because that question has so many different elements to it. For sure. Um, 
it, it's hard to to parse it all out i think and and you know i i will admit like my first when i, I first look at it i i you know look at it at face value like what was he trying to say mm-hmm. um And, and the part, and may, uh, forgive me if I'm getting ahead and feel free no, to no, reel me no, back feel in. Free. The, the part that, that intrigues me is he asked Jesus this question, but yet he seems to know the answer. You know, Jesus mm-hmm. says, well, you know all this. And he's like, yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> and, and so, yeah, you know, what, what was his motive? Uh, was he really wanting to know what he needed to do? Uh, uh, yeah. I, I like so, said, I may be going a different direction than you were going, but. No, no, absolutely. So what was his motive? Does, do you, I mean, we, again, we started out by saying he seems sincere. Right. The fact, and the, again, the, the, the point of verse 21 that Jesus looks at him and loves him, but I, I wonder if the loving, and I read a couple of commentaries on this. So is the loving, is it that he looks at the sincerity and says, you know, I know you're sincere. Or is it that it's just Jesus being gracious, you know, that he sees even his hardened heart and, and yet he still loves, you know, he, right. he is a friend of sinners. Sure. And so it's, this guy is really hard to sort of wrap your hands around because it, it is hard to get to the motives and, and Mark doesn't, and Luke as well, doesn't really make it cl- so clear as to that. Yeah. You know, when you talk about Jesus looking at him and loving him, when I, when I read that, I, I had in my head, I, I pictured, you know, like a, a father with his little toddler son out in a garden and the son's got a you know, a hoe or whatever in his hand. He's, and he's trying to do gardening work and he's really trying. Like he's, and he's super proud of himself and, and see, look at all the work that I've done. But, you know, he's just a little toddler and he can't do anything. And, mm-hmm. and the dad looks at him and knows that it's sort of foolish, but he just loves him so much mm-hmm. and knows that he's trying hard. Uh, you know, he knows his, his intent is good, but he's just doesn't have the tools, doesn't have the ability to, to grasp it mm-hmm. uh, well and grasp it in this case the kid would be mm-hmm. different but, uh, you know that that he's just got this compassion for him so he sees through it all but he sees the genuineness of the man mm-hmm. but realizes he's just so far from the reality of yeah it. yeah yeah wow this actually this topic we could talk about a long time because I think that this has the idea of uh, the question of, okay, um, this man, because your metaphor is father, son. And I know you're not making it exactly, you know, equal to what's happening per se. Right. But that definitely God as father looks at someone like you, me, and says, and we're that child that is moving around with the hoe and the rake and just sort of messing things up right and he he knows we can't do it and our good works will never be good enough right but but we are 
washed by the blood of Christ, you know? And so that's what makes us uh, brought into God's family. Right. And he's our father. But this man, I think the big question is, is he saved? Right. Is, are we talking about a believer? Right. And so I, I sort of want to hold off on the answer to that question. Cause I think okay. that that's sort of the last thing I want to talk about. Cause it's like the big, big, big question. So hang on to that. Okay. Um, the commandments that, so Jesus, you know, he always does this. He, he asks a question to a question. You know, that's how he always, he does this quite often. He answers the question with a question, right? right. And actually I was reading a book um, that someone recommended me a long time ago. It's, it's uh, written by the guy by the name of Randy Newman. And it's called Questioning Evangelism. What's really interesting about this book is that he hit Randy Newman. What he does was he looks at all the different times that Jesus is confronted by different people and he examines them. And so many, most of the times he always responds with a question. Even when Pilate says, you know, he, Pilate, with Pilate, um, with, uh, you know, with uh, all the different Pharisees, he's always asking a question. So he was saying, right. well, this is, this is actually a, a really great rhetorical tool. A way to do apologetics is actually to question the questioner because they usually have a presupposition. There's usually a presumption. And when someone has a question, they always assume something. And if you can deal with their assumptions, you can get to their heart which is the same thing of what's, what's happening here. And I really like that idea. I think that Jesus is getting to not answering the question, but his whole point I feel like is this, and I'd love to hear what you think about this. To me, his answer in verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So what he does is he, Jesus tackles the presupposition of what it, what he understands ultimately what is good because or who is good by actually dealing with the fact that we're talking about God until you get to a right understanding of God you cannot have a right understanding of how to live in light of who God is so the commandments that he gives that Jesus gives I, I find this to be really interesting is that he he says no one is good except God alone but he lists five commandments and all of them are the relational commandments. They're the horizontal commandments right. that deal with people. He leaves out the other five that all deal with the vertical commandments that deal with his relationship to God. Because in, in every way, his, like it's almost like trying to get him to realize that why his question and his answer is ultimately dissatisfying or on another level foolish is that you can't really understand eternal life until you know that there is something incredibly like there's a ins, like a, a insurmountable chasm between us and God. And the way that he does it is he sort of brings out, okay, here are the things that you can do with each other. And his first instinct is I, I can do those things. I do those things. But by Jesus saying that last thing that he lacks, it tackles fundamentally 
both how he cannot follow God, which doesn't actually allow him to live out practically all those things. I don't know if you know what I'm saying. So it's sort of like, it's almost like he's, not that he's testing him, but he's definitely like trying to show him that he, he's really faulty in his understanding of what it means to love God and to love your neighbor, the two great commandments. Mm-hmm. And by being faulty in that, he's actually not truly able to love his neighbor. And I obviously, like when he says, I've kept these from my youth. Dave, do you, have you kept all those no. from you? <laughs> I mean, bear false witness. Right. Honor your father, like, and Jesus already said what murder is like, not getting angry, committing right. adultery, not lusting. Yeah. So he obviously hasn't been able to keep these all in his youth, which Jesus right. knows anyway. Um, so that, that's a lot. I've, I've said a lot. What do you think about that? So it's almost like everything is sort of pressing to tackle, to get him to go deep to his soul, right? To see that he actually hasn't really yielded himself. Yeah. Oh, but he thinks he has, but he thinks he has. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you. And I think the, and, and this wasn't unique to me, but you know, the, the question at the beginning about why do you call me good? You know, mm-hmm. only God is good. It, it lays the groundwork for what he's about to say. Cause now it's not just a good teacher that's saying it, but it's God that's saying it. You know, if we're on the same page that I'm good, only God is good. So from that perspective, let me cross this bridge. And then I, you know, what you just said, I think it's true that, that he, I don't want to say boxes him in, but he, he gets him to see that he, he hasn't, he, he doesn't have grasp of it. Like he thought he did, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that, that here's this area that supersedes all of that, you know, that, that, yeah. 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 Someone wrote, um, yeah, Jesus spoke to the rich young man to help each one of us to dig deep in our hidden heart's desires. It's an act of love. You shall know the truth and truth shall set you free. And giving to the poor is an outward action showing an inward belief. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely agree with that. I think that what Jesus is doing ultimately is he does know this man's heart. He knows it actually probably, not probably, he knows it better than the rich young man knows it himself sure which you know and how many times have we actually not even understood the depths of our own heart the motivations of our own heart right yeah absolutely and the the perspective of god in taking us where he takes us that we don't understand that either mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah no it's um so it's almost like Jesus gives him these commandments to show that you actually could do something to test him to see, okay, first of all, do you do these? And he says, I do them, which at at first says, well, that's a problem. If you really think you've kept these all since your youth to now. Right. Now he gets to the one thing. You lack one thing. 
And I, I think it's so interesting because obviously Jesus is saying that, but he knows he doesn't lack just one thing, but he's pressing him to make him feel like, okay, so you've said that you've done everything. So that means, let me see if you've done this one. How do you think he would have felt? We talked about this. You said, mentioned this before, but you're the rich young man. You're at this point where you feel like I've done, Jesus said, you, you lack, uh, you lack one thing. You would have never expected Jesus to say what he said next. Right. Right. You would have said, oh, maybe you should do this a little bit more or whatever, but sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. What do you think about that response? The, the response of, I'm not sure what you're, what how would you respond? Like, what do you, what do you think? You're the rich young man. Oh, um, I mean, I, I think it, the, the reality of the totality of the call of Jesus hit him square in, in, the, in his being. You know, I, I think about, uh, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when, when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. I think the rich young ruler came face to face with that, you know, it, it, that he has to give of himself all of it. Um, and, and I think, I mean, obviously that was a, a difficult concept for him. Um, you know, I think it's, it's troubling for me when God confronts that in me and I, I have a faith in him. I, I believe he loves me and all those things. And this guy obviously wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think he just, he became, you know, came face to face with his sinfulness and, and he, he didn't really know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and he went away sad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I looked up this word disheartened in the ESV. So are you, are you reading from the NIV? Yeah. Okay. What is the word that you have in verse 22? Uh, the man's face fell. He went away yeah. sad. Yeah. His face, his face fell. Um, he went away sorrowful. So I have that word as a meaning literally in, so this is from uh, Bagda or <laughs> I think they call it different now, okay. but it's to be in, in, in a state of intense dismay, to be shocked and appalled, okay. <laughs> and then to have a dark and gloomy appearance. I, that, that just says so much, you know, he, he was shocked. Right. And the shock led to feeling dismay and darkness. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I just really feel his, everything was that was lacking in him just came to the fore. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he entered this conversation expecting to be patted on the back and he walked away lost. Like he just, he didn't know, he thought he had it figured out and he just realized he doesn't. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, now, According to verse uh, 22, it gives a reason for this. 
So I think it even goes further than even the fact that he was expected to be patted on the back, which he was. For he had great possessions. Right. For he had great possessions. I mean, obviously, like, so the giving to the poor is the expression, but the 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 idol that was really holding him was enslaving him was the possess possessions are not bad in an inherently right? But it's the hope that he placed in those possessions. It's the security that he placed. It's the, the sense of joy that he had. It controlled who, how he thought. And what a contrast between treasure in heaven and great possessions. When I hear that, the thing, Dave, you know what I think? I think, first of all, I wonder what good those great possessions are doing him now. Right. <laughs> really? That should be, that should strike us, first of all. Anything that we have, one day, it will be dust. Right, for sure. But treasure in heaven, eternal. That doesn't fade. Mm-hmm. There's no moth that can wear it down or eat it away. No robber that can steal it. It is there forever. And the giving to the poor is an expression of that. It's the, the care for the oppressed. The, if, now, I've often wondered, like Jesus does, as Bonhoeffer says, to bid us to come and die when we follow. I don't think Jesus... He always asks us to be willing to do that, to surrender. But there are many instances where he doesn't always ask literally everyone to surrender everything. Like Job, for example, he surrendered everything, lost everything. But in the end, he actually got, he actually was blessed. Right. Abraham. Um, uh, Joseph Arimathea. I mean, there are many people in scripture, but I don't think that the answer is, oh, you know what I could do? I'll follow Jesus and say, I'm going to be willing to give up everything. And then actually he'll let me keep things. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that would be easy to, uh, easy to do that. You know, I just have to, to make everybody think that I would do this or, you know, uh, or even myself, but yeah, when the rubber meets the road, you, you've got to be able to, to cross that bridge. And again, I, I think the, the, the position of the passage in Mark is significant because he's just had a big, long run of different things where you have to be humble. You have to be giving. Can you share those things? Well, uh, yeah. Um, so... The, the transfiguration, we've got that. And then the, the healing of the boy with an evil spirit and, you know, the disciples couldn't do it. And so he said, well, you have to, yeah, these come out with prayer. And I, and I think the message there is that I'm guessing the disciples were focused on themselves that, you know, God had given them the ability to cast out demons and they thought, Hey, this is pretty cool. Look at what I can yes. do. Yes. Uh, and so he's saying, Hey, you have to turn away from yourself and turn towards God. And then they argue about who's the greatest. And, you know, he says, you've got to be a servant if you want to be the greatest. And uh, 
causing the children to sin that you have to be, you know, you can't be putting that on them. And, and then even the section on mm-hmm. divorce, I think mm-hmm. if you're going to be good at marriage, you have to be a giver. Um, you can't be selfish and be good at marriage. Mm-hmm. And then the children, again, uh, you know, you have to be a servant. And now the rich young man. So the context is one of, yeah, in all these different areas of life, and, and this one highlights wealth, you've got to be giving. You, you cannot be looking towards yourself primarily, or even much, uh, and be a follower of Jesus. It's just not consistent. Mm-hmm. 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 We have a couple of questions. Um, first, is the case of the tax collector the inverse of the rich young ruler? It's almost like this guy saw what happened to Zacchaeus and was looking for a similar response. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I think the difference between Zacchaeus and this guy, first of all, is Jesus, we can't fake out Jesus. So there's no way to deceive him based on our outward expression and our inward heart because he looks at our hearts. So he's looking at this man's heart and he's looking at Zacchaeus's heart. Zacchaeus, though, he pays back fourfold. And I believe in uh, when there is a section in the Old Testament law where when you do defraud somebody, you don't pay back fourfold. I think you pay back twice fold i'm not exactly sure something like that you're right yeah yeah so by by zacchaeus actually paying back fourfold it really showed his the expression of his heart that he wanted to he was going to go all out absolutely you know to to, he his heart changed there was a transformation and jesus saw it right And, and you know what i'm willing to bet and this is dave stroud's uh of guess but i'm betting this guy gave money to the poor Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Because he was all about following the rules and yes. looking good. Yes. Uh, and and I, I'm sure he thought, I'm, I'm really great at this. And then here yes. Jesus says, yeah, you're really not good enough. Yeah. You go sell everything you have. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So in a sense, you know, uh, Eddie's right. There is a, he is like the opposite of Zacchaeus in that yeah. sense. He He's willing to give it all. But the disciples were that. I mean, they didn't have much. Maybe right. in that sense, the disciples aren't the best analogy or metaphor because they didn't have, they weren't wealthy. But I would imagine that anyone who follows Jesus uh, in the Bible, who followed the Lord, like Job is, again, a great example because he was wealthy and he was willing, to, he did have faith, even though it was hard. Abraham followed the Lord, even though he sinned. But that goes back to what you said earlier, Dave, is that people struggle in following Christ. And it is a sanctifying journey. Mm-hmm. And that journey is not going to end until we see the Lord face to face. Right. And so, because you just said it, there were all these disciples. They also had some major problems. For sure. Of giving of themselves. But they are saved, right? They do trust in the Lord. Whereas this man... I, I can pretty I think I'm pretty confident in saying that he doesn't ultimately follow Christ. Sure. You know, uh, the fact that Jesus starts describing how difficult it is right. for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God yeah. right after what happened with this man. Sure. And he literally walked away. Like he, he Yeah. He didn't step beg him. He didn't, oh, you know, tell me how to do this. He he was sad and left. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
Another question that has come in is what is the relationship between a passionate, passion, uh, zealousness of living for Christ and the intellectual side of faith? What happens when you lean to one side over the other? Okay, so I leave that, I give you that question first, which is on the one hand, you think out your faith, you know, your everything is measured, everything is sort of processed, examined. And the other is, let's just go in faith. Right. Go. You know, how do you how do you work that out? And I'd like to hear one other thing, which is as you've been caring for people in the military, right? Um, I mean, there's there are obviously there for many different reasons, but I'm sure there are some. Who, are, who have a passion and zeal, and they follow Christ. How does that work out together? I'd love to hear that from your context as well. Well, you know, I think, number one, the answer is that both, you know, the, the intellectual part and the heart part, I mean, that they're both certainly involved. Um, I think they, they both inspire each other, and they both provide checks and balances, if you will, for the other. Uh, it keeps you from going too far in, in one direction over the other. Um, you know, and it, it's a difficult place um, because I, I think our zeal has to be guided by certainly scripture, but, you know, our understanding and, and that, but, but we can't be afraid to step out as well. So, so both of those things are needed. The problem with the rich young ruler is his zeal was on something other than Christ. And that's where, you know, I, I, I say this in my church all the time that, you know, the, the answer is Jesus. I don't really care what the question is. Um, that, that that has to be your guiding light, that it all has, whether you're being zealous or whether you're, you're being intellectual, uh, the subject matter has to be Jesus or you're on the wrong path, mm -hmm. um, at least in, in, in speaking about faith. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I, ask me again that you said about the, the military part. Yeah, so as you're helping people in the military, you know, like they have the mission of serving the military, but let's say a Christian mm -hmm. who's a soldier or who's right. in the military, how do they follow Christ and at the same time do the things that they need to do in their context? You know, so, because in, in some sense, that is sort of the same question that was asked. It's the question of, you know what you have to do, but you're a follower of Christ and it should diff define who we are right. ultimately right. more than any other thing that we do. And it's not to say we can't be in the military. We can't be a, you know, um, in a, like an investment banker or, a, you know, or um, a police officer, or, you know, there's a lot of different career paths, a teacher in a public school where you might say there are these rules and regulations, but we're always a Christian too. And what does that look like in the military? I think that it, the being a follower of Christ, and I, and I would, you know, make the argument it, it doesn't really matter what profession, mm -hmm. but the 
the allegiance to Christ provides a check. You know, you can't go off into some crazy, you know, where you're just, you're, you don't care about the rules. You don't, or you don't care about the morality of it. I'm just gonna, you know, do what I need to do to, to win. Um, you know, Christian's not going to go there. They recognize that, that there is a, a, uh, moral to it and, and there's, you know, good as God sees it. And I need to stay in that place and, and I can carry out the mission and be a moral person, a godly person in the midst of it. Um, but then I also think that, and again, I would, I'd say this would apply to, to just about any yes. profession that the, the service aspect of it, you know, that, that I am doing this to serve the Lord and I'm doing this to serve the people around me. And I'm doing this as a, a, uh, a servant. Um, mm -hmm. and so those two things meld pretty well together, I mm -hmm. think. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you talk about uh, following orders and, and, you know, being submissive to the authority, people in the military, you know, that's a very real concept for them. They don't, mm -hmm. don't have to really think too hardly, hard about that. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other part that I really like, and this, I, I may be going off on a tangent a little bit, but uh, I love the fact that I can talk about Christianity as an identity and Marines just get that mm. because being a Marine is an identity. Mm. Uh, they will say things like, you know, Marines don't do that. You know, the reason we don't do this is not because of whatever it's because Marines don't do that. And that I think fits really well into the whole idea of living by the spirit, that it's not, it's not that we're following a rule. It's that Christians don't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just not who we are. Mm -hmm. and, and Marines get that. It, it's really mm -hmm. neat to talk about mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So, um, I mean, we don't have much time, much more time, but that idea is sort of what is being tackled in this passage, especially where Jesus is trying to say, this guy, he sort of thinks being a, a follower of God, someone who's going to follow him is someone who just does sort of uh, selects those areas where they want to follow. I can do well in this, 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 this. Right. But what they don't see is the identity aspect of it. You know, that if you really want to be someone who actually gets this, you're going to follow to the point where you're willing to give up everything. Right. And uh, I, I wanted to read to you something that Tim Keller wrote. He says, so he says, do you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind? Do, do you love your neighbor as yourself? Are you willing to do this for me? Are you willing to put me so, uh, put me so number one that you do this for me? Young man can't do it. What's Jesus saying? He's trying to say morality and goodness are not enough. Take a look at a needle, pick out a needle sometime and look at it. It looks perfect. It looks flawless. It looks sleek. You put it under a microscope and it's popped and flawed. That's true of anything. Nothing is perfect. It all depends on how close you look at it. No one is perfect. At funerals, they say, oh, there was never a greater woman. There was never a greater man. Ask the person who lived with them. You look, no one is good. No one is righteous. No, not one. Morality and goodness are never enough. 
Jesus comes in and slashes his feet right out from under him. He says, give away all those things and follow me. What is he saying then? He's saying, I have to be your real riches. Young man, he says, you seem to think you have the greatest amount of money and the greatest estate in all this religion, but I want you to look at me as your only treasure. I want you to give away all of your other treasure and make me your only treasure. Do you see in the book of Matthew, we're told he actually says to the young man, not just follow me, but take up your cross and follow me. He makes a reference to the fact that Jesus is taking up a cross. He's saying to the rich young man, I have to be your true treasure. My life poured out must be your true treasure because I've done it all for you. I have to be your goodness. I have to be your righteousness. I have to be your wealth before God or else I cannot deal with you. Jesus doesn't add a thing. He destroys the entire philosophical framework, emotional, psychological, and religious that this young man has, and he builds it up from the ground up. That's, why the reason, that's the reason why the gospel never comes in and adds. It only destroys what you have and starts you all over. That's the reason why Nicodemus comes in and says, good teacher, I have a few theological questions. And Jesus says, you must be born again. You have to start all over. You have to make me your Lord and Savior. It's the only way. You're flawed. Your morality and goodness are not enough. Has this happened to you? Here's Jesus. Here's what I want you to know. Has he ever really dealt with you? Have you ever really dealt with him? Let me put it this way. Has he ever offended you and sent you away sorrowing? Has he ever shown you what's wrong with you? Has he ever made tremendous claims? Have you ever been confronted with the real Christ of the Bible who says, you're such a wicked sinner, I had to die for you, and your goodness and morality are not enough? So I think I really like that because I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's destroying to actually renew and to resurrect. Right. You, I mean, that's the whole gospel is death to resurrection. Right. You know, you must die to be born again from death to life. And for this young man, it's this, you're, you're basically dying. And he has, I mean, where are these treasures now? They're nowhere. So he's, he's giving him this opportunity to have life by getting rid of the one thing that's destroying him. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. And I think that's his claim on all of us is what is it in your life student, um, accountant, teacher, father, mother, son, daughter, that you have claimed in your life that you need more than Jesus. And that is a really, really important, as George would say, cut to the bone question. It is, if you're not willing to realize that he want, he needs to destroy everything to rebuild it all, that the gospel actually gets rid of your morality and your goodness, and it actually replaces it with a far greater and superior goodness. And we'll never really know this treasure, you know, that we have. Right. I want to give you your last thoughts and then uh, we'll close. You know, it, it is. I, I just, I, in my head, I'm going back to the, this thought of, you know, that Jesus is the answer. And he does tear this guy down. And I think we didn't talk about it, but one of the really intriguing things about this passage, I think, is that Jesus just lets him go. Uh, he doesn't say, hey, wait a second, let's talk about this. Let's, uh, he just allows him to go. Because, mm -hmm. you know, Jesus, yeah, he, he wants you to come to him and, and he's the answer. And if, if you're not there, 
well, okay, you know, I, I, I'm still here. I'll always be. And I, it's just such a big part of, of my thinking these days of, you know, just everything has to go back to Christ. It just has to go back to Christ. You have to be moving towards him or you're, you're lost. And I, and I think, thank God that he does gather his people to him. You know, we, mm-hmm. you know, that he does the work, he does mm-hmm. all those things and, and he's concerned about his family, mm-hmm. uh, which is another reason why I think that probably this guy is not part of the family because Jesus mm-hmm. lets him go. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just so, uh, it, it just gives me such hope to know that Jesus has accomplished it all and, and that we can release all of these things in our lives because he's accomplished it all like he and and you know it's one thing for us to have this this discussion and say oh yeah if you give it up jesus will you know replace it but boy it's another when it's the thing that you really value and just don't want to give up that one yes yes it could be a your wife sure it could be a child it could be a career you know that you've worked so hard to attain get to yeah could be anything yeah but he is greater i know it's but that's where we have to say god's word you know it stands it stands forever right because we don't always feel it but we trust based on his word the truth of his word right yeah let me pray for us and uh And then we'll close. Outstanding. Father, I thank you for this picture of what it means to follow Jesus. But as Dave just shared, it could be anything that keeps us from you. There's perhaps one thing in our lives, one hope, one dream, one achievement, one one area of growth or morality that we have claimed for ourselves that it's because of our work and our effort that we got to this place. Help us, O Lord, not to succumb to those deceptions that keep us from experiencing everlasting joy. I pray that you would use your word to speak so deeply into our lives so that we would see that, as your word tells us, thy loving kindness is better than life. So I thank you for all those who are listening. I pray blessings on their family in this season of being shut in. I pray for uh, continued encouragements and grace and help them to see and even to search their own hearts and to see, is there anything that is keeping them from knowing you, from loving you? And I pray that they would be able to surrender it all and to see the fruitfulness that that brings and the joy and the freedom that that brings. And I ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for joining us, and see you again on Wednesday. All right, everybody. Take care.